Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Talking Football podcast. My name's Derek Clark, and every week we try and bring you a top class interview with some of the most colourful and interesting characters involved in the game. This week I was joined by former Grimsby and Bolton star and my Bolton FM co commentator, Gary Henshaw. Gary was in cracking form with stories galore from his time at Boundary Park and Burnden Park, as well as his spells at Rochdale, Swansea, Chorley, Hyde United and Radcliffe Borough. He also tells us how he got into the radio game, what he's made of Bolton over the years and how he thinks Wanderers' season will pan out this year. It's another belter of an interview with one of the game's most likeable characters, so sit back and enjoy the latest episode of the Talking Football podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Talking Football Podcast. I'm delighted to say we're joined this week by former Grimsby and Bolton star and my Bolton FM colleague, Gary Henshaw. Gary, thanks very much for, for coming on. Pleasure, Derek. So always happy to help out with these podcasts. Excellent stuff. Yeah, you had a great career in the game, Gary. Well thought of, of course, it likes uh, Grimsby and, and Bolton. Looking all the way back, when you were born in, in Leeds in 1965, um, growing up, were you always kicking a ball around? Yeah, it was uh, right from a, an early age, really, probably from about seven or eight year old. Uh, I don't think you have a family without a ball in my hand, uh, taking it everywhere and playing the kickabout in the street or in the playground. And then I progressed to playing um, for a team called Western Juniors, uh, which was run by a, a real sort of stalwart in local Leeds football, a guy called Peter Joe. Uh, I had a season or so there, um, but I wanted to progress a little higher. So I went to a, a local team called Yorkshire Amateurs, who were a big force in Leeds football. And I played there right up until leaving school. Was Leeds United your team back then, Gary? Was that the team you supported? Yeah, I mean, we spoke about this before. I mean, I never really got the call from Leeds, although I played for Leeds City Boys um, around about 14, 15. I started getting invited down to um, various professional clubs in the school holidays, uh, but Leeds United never came uh, knocking on the door. But I actually did actually play for Leeds United once. Wow. Uh, that's a bit of a story in itself. Really. Um, whilst I was playing for Yorkshire Amateurs, um, under 15 and 16 level, um, we got invited to go to Italy to play at Sampdoria's ground in a under-19s wow. competition, so we was the 15-16 side representing Leeds United, whose youth team couldn't uh, appear in that tournament, so they asked us to represent Leeds United, so that was the only <laughs> time I had to put Leeds United's colours on, but nevertheless, uh, playing against Inter Milan uh, under-19, <laughs> we were like men, and we were like 15-year-old, like seven stone wet through boys, we didn't really sort of do ourselves <laughs> justice. <laughs> was there any boys that when you were playing over there that went on to play for the club for um, for Leeds Yorkshire Amateurs yeah uh, well, well when, we, when we represented Leeds uh, for Yorkshire Amateurs there were six of us who actually got turned pro uh, yeah. myself and Tony Thorpe went to Grimsby Simon Robertson uh, Whitey went to Huddersfield uh, Gary Strodd who made a good career for himself and a lad called Cal uh, Spargo went to Lincoln City. Uh, yeah. Gary really went on, uh, like myself. The others probably never really made it 
beyond sort of the first couple of years in professional football. But uh, we had a, a great side there at Yorkshire, which is like I say, six of us went um, onto pro clubs. And the biggest story probably of one of the most talented lads who played for us, who never went on to professional football, actually made it for Great Britain at Athletics. Uh, he went the opposite way. A guy called Mick Hill. He was a javelin, javelin thrower. Yeah, 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 I remember him. Mick was a fabulous centre-forward. Uh, scored goals for fun for our team. But he decided to go down the athletics front, which was a yeah. great loss of football. But for Great Britain athletics, that was a great, great plus. Yeah, I do remember him back back in the day. I'm sure he was at Barcelona or something, like the, the Olympics or something like that. I remember. I do remember seeing him um, representing Great Britain. The Grimsby move then, Gary, how did, how did that come about? Well, like I said, uh, right from probably uh, 14 or 15, I uh, used to get invited down for weeks at various clubs, um, Lincoln being one of them. Uh, went down there, shared digs with uh, Big McArthur at the time. Um, Lenny Lawrence was the youth team coach yeah. at Lincoln. Uh, I had many weeks down there. Uh, Gary Strodd uh, was the same and Tony Thorpe came down from the same league side there, along with one or two others. Um, other clubs that were interested were like Sheffield Wednesday, Coventry, and obviously Grimsby. Uh, and it, it was just like an instant uh, attraction at Grimsby. Uh, very small, family-set club. And at, at that time, Sheffield Wednesday were uh, in the, first, the old first division. And I just saw my opportunities better suited at Grimsby by getting in the first team at an earlier age. And it, it worked out well because I got in the uh, first team at Grimsby at 17. So uh, it wasn't long after joining Grimsby, I was actually in the first team. Yeah, but can you remember much about your, your debut? Yeah, I think I made my debut in the, um, a League Cup tie against Coventry. Uh, Jerry Daly and such like, big uh, million and a half transfer fee what, uh, that paid for the Jerry Daly at the time. Um, I think we drew that game uh, and then I, I played my first league game as a sub. Uh, I came on against Brighton, I think it was, and we won 5-1. Uh, Joe Corrigan was in goals for Brighton. Um, I got the last sort of 20 minutes and then I played a, a, a few starts and then I got my first goal against Birmingham City, probably on about my third or fourth start. Uh, that was a penalty against Birmingham. Against oh. David Seaman, nonetheless. <laughs> Absolutely magic. See if you're. See if you're... That's my claim to fame. <laughs> Sorry, if, yeah, if you're taking penalties at such a young age, you must have been a, a confident boy back then, Gary. It was a funny one. Yeah. Um, the the normal penalty taker was Joe Waters, the, the Grimsby captain, but I'd come into the side because Joe had uh, been injured the week before. Um, and then normally. One of the star strikers, Kevin Drinkle, would have taken the penalties. Uh, before kickoff, for some reason, I just popped up. Who's on penalties? I put my hand up in the dressing room. Uh, big Chris Nickel was uh, the assistant manager, player assistant. Uh, he said, right, you're having them. But Kevin Drinkle would normally take them, but he was the guy who got fouled for the penalty. And it was a bit of an age for the penalty to be taken because Kevin was having treatment for three, four, five minutes. Oh. And Chris Nickel, with all, all his experience, took me away to the halfway line uh, with the ball. Uh, I was getting a lot of stick because uh, Birmingham had quite an experienced side then 
uh, Kevin Bremner and uh, Byron Stevenson and people like that. They were getting in the ear all. Chris took me to the halfway line. We were three minutes out of the way. And then um, up I stepped so against the, the, the future England goalkeeper. Uh, he went the right way, but luckily enough, I snuck it in the bottom corner. Perfect. Uh, you mentioned there um, uh, Kevin Drinkle, um, obviously a great striker in his day, wasn't he? What, what was he like? To, did you sort of did you learn off him and playing alongside him? Yeah, the good thing with Grimsby, I mean, we had a great atmosphere at Grimsby. Uh, a lot of the people uh, had to live in the town because we were at one of uh, Lynn there, where yeah. the, the the place was situated. So it was a great team spirit. And Kevin was one of the uh, many local lads who played in the side. Um, a big footballing family in um, in Grimsby, the Drinkles. Yeah. I played with one of his brothers in the youth team, the team before that. And there's one or two brothers who never made the pro game, but they were always well thought of in the Grimsby. But Kevin was a great lad. I mean, he went on to have big money moves uh, yeah. down to Norwich and then up into Scotland. And I think he managed in Scotland for a while. Yeah, he did, yeah. Uh, yeah, a great player. Fantastic in the air. So strong and agile. Um, he didn't train that much. <laughs> <laughs> he kept himself for the games, uh, hence his nickname, Man Friday. But, I mean, what a player <laughs> he was. Um, but like, like I say, uh, there, was, there were a lot of players there at Grimsby. Local lads, Tony Ford, record yeah. appearances in the Football League, over a 1,000 appearances. Yeah. Uh, the Moore brothers, um, there, was, there was many to sort of uh, talk about there, but... Fantastic atmosphere. Um, I, I got brought to the club by a Scottish manager, George Kerr. Um, he was he put marvellous amounts of um, faith in me at an early age. Uh, but luckily, unlucky for him in the first season, Grimsby was struggling in the first team and he got the sack and his assistant took over, uh, a, a guy called Dave Booth, yeah. who had the wisdom to bring in the experience of um, Chris Nicholas, player, man, uh, player assistant manager. And we weren't so much off people like Chris Nichol because... I think he was ahead of his years in sort of his preparation, looking after your body, stretching and things like that. So it was a good learning curve at that club. Yeah. Being a young boy there, Gary, were you doing the sort of apprentice stuff like cleaning boots in the stand and all that? Yeah. I mean, we we talk about uh, the sort of things um, ever couldn't say about Billy Crellin, about people. <laughs> we, all, we all go into the sort of uh, technical issues about that, but it made you grow up very early because we had players in that dressing room, um, really experienced pros. I mean, we had a, a centre-half called uh, Clive Wigginson, um, really steely centre-half, uh, proper South Yorkshire guy. And it was one of those, uh, you came in in the morning, you did your chores, you, you, you set the kit out. If his cup of tea wasn't there before and after training, if his boots weren't cleaned, you'd find out about it. And the amount of bruised arms I used to get and um, DP uh, put down in certain places to make sure his stuff would be set out uh, the next day in the right order. Uh, it made you sort of really sort of grow into yourself and be ready for when, when your first team chance came along. Yeah, uh, I guess you were you living over at uh, Grimsby or, or Cleethorpe's way when, when you were over there. Did you sort of stay in digs and stuff? Yeah, I mean, um, I, moved, I moved there. I actually lived in the Cleethorpe's in digs. Yeah, I mean, there's a story behind that actually. Um, in the first few weeks at Grimsby, it's a bit of a shock, 
to a 16-year-old lad who was probably nine and a half stone wet through, and you're training day in, day out, and the rigors are training, with a lot of body work. Um, on the Friday afternoon, probably on the second week, I used to catch a bus up to a roundabout, and I used to have a mile walk to my digs. Um, and I, I felt really ill after training that day. Uh, I actually collapsed on the uh, back door of my, my digs. Wow. Uh, got rushed to hospital, so my, my career was nearly over before it started. Um, I got appendicitis. Um, I got rushed into the hospital, but got shoved in a corridor in a hospital in Grimsby Hospital. Uh, luckily for me, after being examined and left there, a top surgeon walked past, saw how much pain I was in. He re-examined me and realised what it was. And luckily, I, I got rushed down into theatre because I got peritonitis. And luckily, they, they caught it just, just at the right time. So I spent about another month or two in hospital after that. Yeah. Uh, my biggest riding uh, memory of that time was I ended up watching the Royal Wedding in 1981 in <laughs> hospital, <laughs> Prince Charles and Lady Diana. And I should have been out on the training pitch. Uh, that's crazy, isn't it? Um, crazy times. Uh, see, Grimsby at that time, they were in the, the, the second division, is that right? Yeah, we, we, we really uh, did really well. We missed out on promotions to the old first, the actual first division by yeah. one goal um, against Man City, got promoted. And it was one yeah. goal on the goal difference. Uh, and we, that year we beat Man City 4-1 at home. And I think oh. that uh, goal against was a deciding factor, yeah. even though we turned them over. And they were a big spending, big hitting time and, uh, side at the time. You just think what might have been there if you if you if you managed to get up because I don't think they've sort of reached those heights since, have they? Oh no, I mean, they, they, I mean, they've, they've struggled um, a lot since then. I mean, they've had their ups and downs. They've yeah. had a few playoff wins, um, but it's a fabulous uh, family-run club. Uh, yeah. Fabulous support. I mean, it's it's such out on a limb there, but the town is so so much behind them. Uh, the, the support we used to have there, uh, absolutely second to none. Yeah, I mind doing a game there once. At the boundary part is it's, it's a cracking old one of those old-fashioned stadiums, right in the sort of right in amongst the streets and all that. What what must have been fun to play there? Oh, fantastic! I mean, the pitch wasn't the best uh, when I no, played no. there. <laughs> um, I mean, I could tell you a few stories about when we had illness and injuries in. And uh, George Kerr, I remember one of the the, the weekends we had, I think we had about five first teamers fit. So yeah. we invited the local fire brigade down on the fr uh, Friday afternoon to come and practice. <laughs> Hence the game was waterlogged off on the Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> these, these things don't happen nowadays. <laughs> That's magnificent. Um, did you play against Leeds United when, you, when they were in that uh, division? Yeah, uh, a, a few times. Uh, I think it was a bit of a mi uh, mi mixture, but, or a mismatch by uh, the, the FA one weekend. Uh, the, the made us play Leeds on a bank holiday weekend at home. So obviously the Leeds fans came down to Cleethorpes on a Friday night, was out okay. all night Friday night, Saturday, and it was mayhem on the, on the Saturday on the game. I, I think it ended up 2-2, but I think it cost more to the club in refurbishing the stands because <laughs> everywhere got wrecked because the Leeds fans had come down in the thousands. Uh, but obviously... A weekend of boozing on, on the back of that wasn't very good. No. <laughs> but I think it, on, that, on that, that particular game, I think um, an old Bolton favourite was actually at the back end of his career. Uh, Frank Worthington was playing for Leeds that day, if I remember rightly. Uh, so 
And uh, a, a good friend of my dad's was playing as well for Leeds, uh, Peter Lorimer, who's sadly not so yeah. well at the minute. So um, best wishes to Peter at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. And Frank as well, it's not, it's not too good from, from what I hear. Um, what was it like playing against these guys, Gary, when, when you come up against them? Did it, did it bring your game on to try and show you that, that you belonged there and you could, you could compete against these guys? Yeah, it's like, like I say, you're always fired up against your hometown club. I mean, prior to that, um, I, I captained Grimsby uh, youth team in the Northern Intermediate before that. And it was great rivalry playing against Leeds because... I played against all my mates because at that time in the Leeds juniors uh, with the likes of Scott Sellers, John Sheridan, yeah. uh, John Shat, uh, John Styles, who's just sadly lost his dad, and John's to this day one of my best friends. Yeah. Um, Tommy Wright, Mark Gavin, Leeds and Dennis Irwin. Uh, they, yeah. they had such a great youth team, but that was the only time uh, Grimsby would ever ever wondered. Uh, Northern Intermediate League that uh, that season when we beat Leeds, uh, I think we we actually clinched promotion at Ellen Road, so that was a special thing for me. I yeah. think we beat Leeds four two to clinch the Northern Intermediate League, and then obviously playing against the likes of uh, the, the young Leeds lads in the Central League was a, a big thing, and then obviously the progression to the, the first team, and then yeah. playing against people like uh, Lorimer and Eddie Gray and um, Worthy. I mean lads who have looked up. Uh, or when I've been a young yeah. child myself. Absolutely. Um, doing a wee bit of research, um, did you play in the, the, the Arsenal FA Cup game? And was it 86 you played them, the 4-3 game? Uh, no, I, I was actually in the squad that day, but not. I think there was only two substitutes in them days, and I never got picked. I think Charlie Nicholas scored a, a bit of an hat-trick that day. I think one of them was a deflection, so he's not having that as an hat-trick. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that was the, that that was when Mick Lyons came to Grimsby, and that was probably the signal of um, my lesser games for them because Mick, Mick Lyons brought in a really sort of um, a system where he'd learned under Howard Wilkinson at Sheffield Wednesday, yeah. very long ball, and it, it didn't fit in. And at the end of that season, uh, we'd had that cup, cup run. I think we'd, we'd got relegated after being absolutely safe in mid-season. We just yeah. had a bit of a collapse. And that, that, that sort of brought about me coming to Bolton because um, he released me at the end of that season. Uh, met up with Phil Neal. I'd, I'd agreed uh, personal terms with Bolton, uh, but nothing was signed. I came back. And it was a bit of a funny one because I was quite naive then. I was only probably 21. Um, because I'd given Bolton uh, my word, uh, I'd agreed to sign for him and I felt obliged to sign for him. But in between all that happening, um, Mick Lyons got the sack from Grimsby. Mm -hmm. And I took a call from the chairman there at Grimsby saying, look, you've been captain all the way through the junior side, the, the reserve team side. Uh, we felt aggrieved by him omitting you from the side because he changed the style. Would you want to stay? And naively, I said, well, I'd give me word to Bolton. Um, so I'll, I'll honour my word to Bolton. And so I end up leaving where I could possibly have still been at Grimsby until this, this very day. Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? But, I mean, Bolton at that time were in the, the old fourth division, weren't they? You were dropping down a, a couple of leagues. Yeah, um, like I said, uh, Grimsby had just been relegated from two to three, yeah. uh, got released, and Bolton had just been relegated from three to four. The, very much the similar situation as now. Yeah. Uh, the very lowest ebb the club had ever been in, in the, in the bottom tier. 
Um, but Phil Neal signed himself. He brought another lad from Grimsby called Dean Crombie. Uh, left back come centre-half. He signed a lad called Trevor Morgan who played at Bournemouth who got the, the famous goal against Man United in the cup tie when uh, Bournemouth beat uh, Man, Man United 2-1. Yeah. He brought Jeff, Jeff Chandler back to the club. And he brought a lad called John Thomas, who had been previously at Bolton, uh, Everton and Preston. And John was a fantastic goal scorer. He scored 20-odd goals in the first season. And that first season, um, well, actually on my debut, I scored on the debut. And we got promoted on the final day of the season at Wrexham uh, by Robbie Savage goal. Um, and that was straight down and straight back up. So it was a mission complete, really. Six new signings. Probably a bit of a similar situation as to now at Bolton, where you're bringing a load of players in. Obviously, yeah. not not as many as now, but luckily <laughs> gelled and we back up. So that that, that 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 was a good start to my Bolton career, really. I mean, scoring on my debut against Crew. Um, yeah. David Platt actually scored on the, on the, the equaliser on that day for for Crew, and that's probably where my, mine and David Platt's uh, career <laughs> went in different directions. <laughs> see, you, see you, you're talking about uh, Phil Neal, Gary what, what was he like as a coach? Uh, me and Phil Neal got on really well in my first season I probably played about 37, 38 games in my first season um, My second season um, We didn't see quite eye to eye um, We had a few fallouts And that's probably just how it is with managers yeah. um, It's no big, big Big grudge these days. I mean, I've got over that situation. I, I, I was a bit bitter at the time. Um, he, he did rub one or two players up the, the wrong way. Um, he's, he probably didn't know how to handle certain players. Um, I mean, we've, we've had local um, podcasts with our Bolton Wonders Re- uh, Remembrance Group, and yeah. we've had a few of the players on at the same time. They've been asked the same situation, Jeff Chandler being one. Uh, it was probably the players like myself and Jeff who were probably ball players. He he was always anchoring on at them for other things in the game. He wasn't happy with what they could offer, and like I say, he left me out. Uh, biggest grudge I had against him was he left me out for a long, long time. But he was happy to take me away on the away trips, week in, week out, not making the bench, but. Taking me down to Reading and South End and places like this, not getting a game. Yeah. But luckily, I was not bad at cards in them days, so I made <laughs> my place <laughs> um, See that season you mentioned you went straight back up and you beat Wrexham in the final day. You went up by a point. Did the boys feel much pressure heading into that game? Um, it was a bit of a tense game. I mean, I I, I remember the game uh, that it was quite an easy game. We, we played, and that in, in your own mind, we played decent football. Uh, since looking back at the tape, it was the worst game I've ever seen in my life. I mean, me, me and yourself, I mean, we've seen some bad games over the last few months, haven't we? But this, this, this was a dire game. It, this was such a dire game. But the fact was, I mean, the travelling down to Wrexham on the day, uh, we were on the team bus going down through the lanes into Wales. And everywhere you saw was a massive blue and white. There was Bolton fans on the streets at the pubs. Yeah. And they filled probably two-thirds of the ground that day. I don't know how many people were there. But after, after the game, we, we lost our boots and we lost our, <laughs> lost our kit. And 
we, we got taken up on, on, onto the balcony, but we had to go through um, the actual director's uh, lounge to get to the balcony. And off the director's bound, uh, lounge, the ladies weren't allowed in the lounges in them days. It was a bit of, bit of a funny thing. So we had yeah. to go through the ladies' lounge. Well, you can imagine us going through there with no kids <laughs> on, no suits, <laughs> the lads in the box, of course. And so we got a few funny looks there. And a lot of the lads lost the boots. Luckily enough, the fans were great afterwards. Uh, a lot of lads had the, the boots returned. And I think <laughs> Phil Neal was one who lost his boots, played in the, World, uh, in the European Cup final. He'd lent them to John Thomas. And John had had these boots taken off him, but they belonged to Phil Neal, and there was a bit of a, um, a treasure to Phil. But luckily, the fans were good enough to, to return them. But that was a fantastic day, great support. I can always remember one of our players who wasn't playing, uh, Dave Sutton. He was actually in the in the crowd, singing along with the crowd, and they're just special days. Yeah, but you mentioned that some some big players at, at, at Bolton at, at the time, Gary, um, the likes of. Tony Phyllis Kirk, uh, John Thomas, like like you said, so 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 some good players there at the time. Yeah, I mean the, the first year, like John, just uh, was top scorer. I think he ended up twenty odd league goals, ended up thirty odd in total. Was assisted by Trevor Morgan. Uh, Trevor's gone out now coaching in well, he's, he's coached all over the world in Australia, India, uh, the Far East. Um, fantastic lads. Uh, we had other good players, um, a lad who got injured really and cut his career short, Mark Kane, big centre-half. He yeah. was on the verge of um, a big money move to Everton at the time. He got his leg broken and he was never the same afterwards. Steve Thompson, uh, fantastic player. He's gone on to coach with um, Ian Holloway in the Premier League at uh, Blackpool. And he's had other spells at Blackpool. And like I said, in the second uh, wave after that, we had Tommy Phillips-Gurt. David Reeves, big scoring centre-forwards. And on the back of that, the club have always done well with the centre-forwards. John McGinley came, Andy Walker, Mixu yeah. Pataline. And, and I think that's what we're really missing at the, uh, now, really. Somebody who can sort yeah. of punish teams. We always could score goals, and, and that's what got us a success, really. Yeah. Phil Brown, he was there at the time you were there. Is that, is that right, Gary? Yeah. Uh, when I first came, the right-back was um, Derek Scott, uh, lad from Burnley. Uh, he was coming to the end of his career. And I think possibly in this, either the back end of the first season or the start of the second season, I can't remember exactly because it's that long ago now. It's 87, 89, 88 probably. Phil came. I think we signed Phil from Halifax. He'd always played in the lower leagues for Hartlepool. But what a character. <laughs> brought him in. We were life and soul the dressing room. He bounced off people like uh, Trevor Morgan and John Thomas, uh, but what a leader! Yeah. But we, we we led we led by uh, a team spirit, and that team spirit started in the the snooker club after training every day, because we used to all go down to the snooker club a few pints, and it was just one of those we all mixed together. Uh, but when it came to Saturday, there was no quarter given really, so yeah. it was a good team spirit. So you say that, I mean, that's something that you don't really see in the, the modern game, is it? I mean, you don't see it now because of the, the COVID thing, but teams bonding like that and going to like snooker clubs and what have you, you don't, you, you don't really hear of that anymore, do you? No, I mean, uh, I mean the, the old culture of uh, the, the football's changed. I mean, yeah. uh, it's changed, obviously, professionally for the better, in my opinion, in that way, uh, yeah. where the players have got the dietitians, 
they don't drink alcohol and things like that. But them sessions are two or three hours every afternoon, all the lads together, bonding, just playing for a couple of quid at snooker or killer and things like that. And a few games of cards, a few few drinks. It just brought everybody together on a day-to-day basis. And you just like one big family straight away. And there's no weak links because if you show a little bit of a weak link, you know what it's like <laughs> in a group of guys. That's it. So everybody was such a, such a tight bond. And I think that, that's what got us that success that first year. Yeah. Um, we were a real solid start. I mean, p- people and teams used to come to Burnham Park. And we used Bobby Savage, not the Bobby Savage who people know. Yeah. Um, on BT Sport, but the, yeah. the Bobby Savage who played for us, he had this chant in the in the sort of corridor. We had a long corridor at Burnham because the two um, dressing rooms came down side by side, and he used to start this ooh ooh ah chant, and it sent shivers down uh, the spines. I mean, we, I played against teams where some of my friends had played in the, the opposition, and they couldn't believe what they were coming into in that corridor because it was such an intimidating atmosphere. But then you walked up the steps onto, onto the Burnham Park Terrace and the old wooden stands, it was just like a cold and a fire for the away teams. Yeah. So it, it, that was just the mind games what we play with um, the away side as well. Yeah. Did you enjoy playing at Bondon Park back, back in the day? Was that, did, you, did you enjoy playing there? Yeah, it was a special place. I mean, I mean Grim, Grimsby was a nice tight ground as well. Uh, that burned in itself. It had so much history behind it. And the sort of the, the, the nights under the lights there, the cup games and the, the midweek nights under the lights were really special because the, the crowd used in, in them days, they used to get in the ground about an hour before kickoff. So even when you were coming out for your warm-ups, you could feel a tingle. Yeah. And it used to make the hairs in the back of your head, head stand up, really. And yeah. like I say, once the burned and paddock started getting behind the team, and there was such humour as well. I mean, I can remember Tony Kelly uh, going down the far side and somebody throwing a pie out the, on the burning side. It landed just on the side of the embankment. And Tony being Tony, he just picked up the pie, took a bite and threw it back in. But like, you would never see anything like that nowadays. I mean, it's just so special. <laughs> uh, I know we um talking about stuff like that. Um, I know we spoke on, on air at the time when, when, when Tranmere came to town, you said that, they attacked your, your team bus and that sort of thing. Do you often get any uh, wee bits of scrapes and skirmishes when you went to away grounds and that sort of thing? Oh, I mean, I could tell you a few. I mean, uh, I can remember an incident playing for Grimsby. Uh, I was probably only 16, 17, and I were at, uh, we were at Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea away in mid-December. Uh, I was sub. We were 2-0 down at half-time. Out of the game, buried. Yeah. And uh, Tony Ford scored a second half hat trick. Uh, Tony that day normally played on the wide right. Um, for for injury, I think my drinking might have been in, injured. Yeah. He ended up playing centre forward. He got a second half hat trick. And I remember warming up and uh, down the main stand side. And next minute, there was a, a policeman at the side of me. And this dart came across me and landed on my shoulder. Uh, oh, things like that. Yeah, it was only the one of those with the, the, the plastic that sort of yeah. end. Yeah, it was a proper dart on this end, but <laughs> that landed on my shoulder. So that sort of like, that was football in the eight, 80s. <laughs> uh, and after that, I can remember going to uh, 
the old Millwall ground. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Coblow Lane. And that was the most terrifying time I've ever experienced <laughs> on a football pitch. Yeah. Um, I started off there. I think Terry, uh, Terry Sheringham and Tony Cascarino were actually playing that day for Millwall. Yeah. Uh, Terry Herlock in midfield. Oof. So they had they had a, a tough set of characters there to say the least. <laughs> yeah. They they weren't the problem, Derek. I, I went down the far side, and on the far side of that Coblow Lane was an open terrace all the way down. And I looked into this terrace, and so blimey God, I, I couldn't believe it. There were 30, 40 year old blokes dressed in surgical gowns and gloves with big syringes saying. We're coming for you. We're coming for you. <laughs> and I, I was about 17, 18 then, and I, I just went pale. <laughs> but that makes you grow up, mate. I tell you, it does. <laughs> it's funny you mention that about Millwall because I've had um, uh, Margaro Gomez played for uh, played for Birmingham, and he went down there. He said that he's he's never been more scared in his life than when he went down there. And uh, Anton Rogan, we had him on, and he said the same until he signed for them. Then he says it was fine when he when he was playing for them, but when he went down there as an opposing player, it was horrific. It was it was a, it was a tough place to go. Yeah, it's, it's it's not only the sights and sounds of all these old grounds as well. They all had the distinctive smells as well. You you pulled up outside there, and it, all you could smell was like the old burger vans and smells like that, and the old dock smells. And it was like yeah. that that was part of the experience as well. I mean. Yeah. You could pull up at some other grounds and they'd all have the distinct, distinctive atmospheres. Uh, I think like now, a lot of the grounds are quite sterile, including our own now at the Uniball. Yeah, yeah, times move on, don't they? You mentioned earlier about um, the diet and all that sort of stuff, Gary, and obviously it's, it's changed a lot now, but back in your day, what was the sort of the eating arrangements and all that sort of stuff like? What was the sort of the diet like? Your diet was only your pre-match meal. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it was. I mean, a lot of lads had beans on toast or uh, poached chicken, beans yeah. on toast, or maybe a piece of fish or something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, the diet now, the lads eat together after training at most most clubs. Yeah, uh, they're on the pasta and the, the vegetables. I mean, like I said, I learned a little bit about sort of looking after yourself from Chris Nickel, yeah. and then. I roomed with one of the lads, uh, a lad called Paul Robinson, came to Grimsby, who had been at Swansea, and he were a vegan back then in wow. the 80s. Uh, and it was a, like, he, he got a bit of Mickey taken about him because he had his kangaroo skin, uh, well, plastic boots and things like that. Uh, <laughs> but Robert was a great lad. But he, he taught me about, like, the, the goodness of eating, like, the bananas, uh, bananas and broccoli and things like that. Yeah. And, like, looking after yourself and uh, less lactose in your diet. Because yeah. at that time, when I was younger, I, I used to get a lot of cramps and things like that. And yeah. he spoke to me about things like that. So I took that a little bit on board. Yeah. didn't go too over the top, so I still liked a few pints, like, but... Yeah. <laughs> See, when you were at Bolton, was, was Alan Stubbs just coming through at that time? Stubbs, he actually used to clean the boots. I think it's still oh. this day. It, it keeps reminding that I, I still owe him a tenner tip for his, his <laughs> bonus, but... I actually bumped into Alan probably two or three years ago at the races at ADOC. Yeah. And he still keeps reminding me of that. But uh, <laughs> Alan was a young lad then. Um, yeah. He came through as a midfield player at the time. Yeah. But he developed into a big strapping young lad. But what a lad. He, he could strike the ball left foot, right foot. 
he had a great career and he's, he's had a good coaching career really and probably he should be actually still involved with somebody at the minute because he's, he has got a lot to offer. Yeah, yeah, you see him on doing, doing the pundit sort of stuff now and again. Um, but yeah, he, he should he should get get back in in the coaching side of things. Um, see when you, you're at Bolton, um, they reached the EFL uh, trophy final, didn't they? And was it '89? They went down to Wembley. You you weren't in the, the was that the time when you're sort of because I know you went to Rochdale for a bit on loan, Gary. Were you were you away at the club, away from the club at that point? No, I was actually back at the club at that time. I, I actually played in the semi final, and that's oh. like. Um, coming up to the final um, I'd had one or two other runnings with Phil Neal yeah. and actually never played in the final I was in the squad on the day uh, I've got my medal obviously because I played yeah. in every round uh, but it was a big disappointment that day but I mean I was glad for the lads obviously on the day because it, it was a, an absolutely fabulous day out for all the club really and I think we took something like 26,500 down there yeah, uh, being a big part of the day. I mean, um, my disappointment. Obviously, I got left out. I felt more sorry for uh, people like Mark Kane, who had broke his leg the previous year, uh, and he was still out on his rehabilitation. So he, he never made the squad. Obviously, like myself. So there was I think it was myself, Mark Kane, and uh, young Mike Jeffrey who never made this, never made the starting lineup. Yeah. I think, like I said, in them days, they were only two substitutes. So. I think uh, Ian Stevens and Stuart Sora made the bench. Yeah. Uh, it was a bit of a texty run up to the final, actually. Um, it was a funny one. I think we went down to Lillyshaw or somewhere like that on the way down and did a few days training before we went to uh, Beaconsfield to the Bell House Hotel. And there was there was tackles flying in. Everybody's what people weren't getting on. Uh, there was a real sort of tension in, in the sort of training for two days running. Wow. And was, on the Friday, I think Mick Brown sort of stepped in after about 20, 20 minutes, the, the assistant manager, and had a 20-minute cooling off because things were really heating up. Yeah. Uh, people were wanting to make the team, making sure they made the team. And what, what they were doing things for themselves rather than proper preparation for the actual uh, final. Yeah. Uh, Mick, Mick was probably a really experienced coach, which Phil Neal was lucky to have, really. Yeah. He spent his time with Man United and he stepped in. Um, there was a bit of a cooling down period in training. And then he said to one or two of us, he said, right, go away tonight, lads. Have a couple of beers before the final. So big Trevor Morgan, <laughs> he'd already brought his supply down for the bedroom anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so a few of us went out around Beaconsfield we were supposed to only go out for two or three halves but we ended up eat, eating pickled onions and all sorts in this local uh, kebab fish restaurant and then going back to Trevor's room anyway the rest is history we went 1-0 down and ended up winning 4-1 so it can't be that bad for you so <laughs> your, diet, your diet theories go out the window <laughs> and see I mean Obviously disappointed not not to not to play in that final, Gary. Can you take in the whole Wembley experience? If if you're if you're not sort of part of the team, is that is that still the same sort of thing, or are you just sort of gutted yeah. that you're not playing? Yeah, I think because of the lads who who were there. I mean, um, especially like the likes of John Thomas and Trevor Morgan. Yeah. Um, they they came over to the lads who weren't playing, especially the likes of Mark came who'd missed out through. Um, through his injury, I think JT did this poignant moment where 
JT came across the mark at the end of the game and said, look, this should have been you playing today, but it, that was one of the things. But we were close-knit. Everybody felt involved on the day. And we, we were there on the pitch afterwards and we were involved in all the photographs and the lap of honour at the end. Yeah. Uh, we had a fantastic party back at the uh, hotel afterwards. And then, we obviously, we had the civic reception on, I think it was the Sunday or the Monday, when we came back and the, uh, the town centre was absolutely packed. I mean, there were yeah. thousands and thousands of people there. So that, that's a great memory. And that's, that's one of the overriding things where I've stayed in the town. Um, this, this bottle of wonders, it gets under your skin yeah. and it, it becomes part of your life. So that, although I'm a lead supporter and a lead lad back at heart, I've settled here. Yeah. And I think the people of Bolton make you feel welcome. And it's, it's that, that sort of um, family sort of community which has kept me involved with the club. Yeah, yeah, you certainly feel that, that's for sure. Um, in terms of any memorable goals that you scored when you were at uh, Bolton at the time, is there anyone that stands out? Obviously, my debut, um, it was something, um, it's, it, it's still on YouTube now, I think, against Crew. Yeah. Uh, it was the fastest goal of the season on the first day of the season. I think it was after something like a minute or two at the start of the season. So that was a, a bit of a thing. But yeah. uh, we, we practiced a lot leading up to the game with. Um, with Trevor Morgan peeling away to the back post. Uh, we got the ball up to Jeff Chandler. Jeff did his bit. And the Trev, Trev peeled away to the back post and headed one back inside for me. And lucky enough, I, I clipped a volley in. Um, yeah. And that was my first goal on my debut for, for Bolton, really. So that, 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 that was a, a bit of a special moment for me, really. Yeah. Um, you'd head out uh, to, on loan to, to Rochdale uh, in 89. Uh, what, what was the feeling behind that, Gary? Was it just to get game time at the time? Yeah, I think um, I think I'd had a bit of, a, obviously, the fallout with, with Phil Neal. Yeah. Um, and I, I had three months there. Um, it was okay. Um, luckily enough, I didn't drive at the time, but luckily enough, uh, Rochdale, Rochdale's goal, goalkeeper lived in Bolton. I um, so I used to get a lift with him through every day, uh, yeah. but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same sort of atmosphere. They had, they had nothing to play for, and it was yeah. a, a very sort of young young side as well. And it was with with I, I think I played about maybe a dozen games from I can't remember exactly. Yeah. Um, they were just on the verge of the playoffs, but they were never really going to get in there. And it was just a matter of getting game time really. Yeah, Terry Dolan was he he the, he was the manager at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, Terry was there. Um, a very sort of dour, sort of old-fashioned Yorkshireman. Yeah, I've, I've interviewed him before. He's 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 a cracking guy. He's got plenty of stories to tell. So yeah, he, he, he very sort of dry. And I, yeah. I think if you didn't sort of understand his sort of mentality, you, <laughs> you you wouldn't really sort of understand him. But like I say. Um, there was quite a young side there and it were a mixture of some old players at the back end of the career and some lads who were sort of just trying to get on the track and they weren't really quite good enough yeah. and it was just like a matter of having three months there really to get some game time Yeah, You went down to Swansea in 91 what was the, what was the thinking behind that move? I'd got released obviously uh, at Bolton Yeah, and Frank Burroughs was the manager at Swansea at the time. Uh, my ex wife was pregnant with my lad at the yeah. time. Um, Frank was ringing me up, ringing me up, come down, come down, I want to sign you. 
I said, well, my wife's expecting, she's due any time. Um, can you hold on? Um, so he said, yeah, no problem, whenever you're ready. So my wife got induced on the Thursday afternoon, uh, but nothing happened. So she said, look, you're out of contact, you need to get something done. Uh, so I, I travelled down the six hours on the Friday afternoon uh, to Swansea. Uh, the, the six hours to Swansea turned into about 11 hours because I missed my turn off on the M5. I ended up down the M25. I went down the wrong way of the M25. <laughs> so then I had to go. I had to go across on the Bristol Bridge. Well, I'm scratching about for trip change there. I just about managed to get enough money to put in the bucket to get over to Swansea. So <laughs> I find this hotel where they're putting me up. I stay there overnight. So I did the talks in the morning. Uh, agreed everything. So I said, "Can I use the the office phone to?" to ring my wife up, see what's happened at the hospital. And just as I rung up, she's just given birth and I've missed my, my lad's uh, birth there on a Saturday morning. Um, so that was that. So did the pre-season, but the, just prior to the pre-season, the, the last sort of few weeks at Bolton, I'd had a bad hamstring. Yeah. And I weren't properly right for that pre-season. And I was sort of like training a few days, missing a few days. And I was living down in a hotel all week, obviously, because my wife had had the baby up here. Uh, we couldn't sell the house because the housing market had crashed at the time. Yeah. It was a bit of a strain, really. Um, Swans were really good. I mean, I was traveling, traveling up at the weekends, throwing my stuff in the wash back down on a Sunday night for Monday night's training. But after a while, I said it, it was too much of a chore because we, yeah. we couldn't sell the house. And um, my wife at the time had having a bit of a bad time uh, postnatal de depression. Yeah. So what Swansea agreed to let me go. Um, I was hoping to get fixed up with something like Berry or Rochdale again, but the yeah. season had already started. So I ended up um, coming out of full-time football, getting a proper job, <laughs> and then uh, going playing uh, in the conference. So it was a bit of a come down really, but it, it was something you've got to do and, I've never been shy of hard work, so yeah, and I've I've stayed at the same um, place of employment since. Yeah, you joined Chorley, of course, uh, after Swansea. Were you disappointed to come away from the the full time game, or you seem quite like sort of realistic and, and resigned to the fact you need, like you say, get a proper job? It did. To be honest, it did set me up a year or so. I mean, it did affect me for a while. I mean, um, I was I was probably quite down with with things really. And disillusioned. Yeah. Um, I I had a quite a, probably about a year unemployed. Um, luckily, my wife went back at the time, went back to work, and I was looking after the children. But it was disillusioning, and it wasn't until the back end of that uh, season I'd left Swansea. I ended up playing probably a dozen games for Chorley. I think Ken Wright was the manager there, who yeah. is now the chairman. You've seen yeah. the weekend when they played Wolves. Uh, Ken's still involved there, great fella. Um, I played a few games for them. And it wasn't until um, a season or so after that, I actually got my head round and my love for the game back back yeah. involved, really. I spent a little time after that at Runcorn, yeah. the season afterwards. Uh, but the travelling there and uh, the situation at Runcorn, uh, it wasn't very good. Um, I didn't quite enjoy that. Yeah. And then I got a call 
Um, of a couple of lads who had been in the youth team at uh, Bolton, they 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 were at Hyde at the time. I said, come come at Hyde. So I went to Hyde, and there were a few lads there who I knew. Uh, got involved with them, and we had some cracking seasons there. And that's when I really sort of start started to um, really enjoy my football again. Yeah, you played loads of games for them over five years or something there. So you must have like like you say really enjoyed your your football there again. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think. We had, we got beaten for the lower league side. I mean, we were up against conference sides in the, the FA Trophy. Yeah. Uh, we got to three FA Trophy semi-finals, and we beat the likes of Stevenage, the year Stevenage got in the league. Um, lo- loads of teams who were on the sort of cusp of the big things, really. And we turned them over. We didn't just beat them. Uh, yeah. And it, it wasn't just playing football. It was playing football with your mates, but... There were lads who had played at a higher level who just wanted to play football for the joy of it. Um, like I said, it was like another sort of team spirit again where we all went out on the weekend afterwards. Yeah. And you see these lads, when you see these lads who do the giant giant killing in the, in the cup, like the Chorley games and things like that, yeah. you see that bond, and that's the bond we had at Hyde. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then you have a wee spell at Radcliffe Borough, and then did you play anywhere else after that, Gary, or did, did, did you consider going into the coaching side of things? Well, I did. I had a little spell at Radcliffe Borough, and um, at the side of Radcliffe Borough, there was a, a little sort of astroturf area. Yeah. And that's where I got back involved with coaching with uh, Man City's academy with uh, yeah. our friend Steve Ayres. Yeah. Uh, Steve was uh, doing the academy at um, Man City at the time. Obviously, went on to take the sort of um, the FA Youth Cup in Cup signed after that, but. I did a, did a few years with that, but um, my, my, my relationship with my ex-wife would, would split up by then. And it was a bit, bit of a strain, obviously, working the nights and having the kids at the weekend. So my coaching got sort of like put on a back burner, really. Yeah. And then I sort of like came away from football after that for a, for a while. And then I got uh, a call probably 10, 12 years ago now, uh, Tower FM. I'd lost the contract to do the Bolton games for a few seasons, but then they regained it. Yeah. And then they were looking for a local person uh, who played for the club to co-commentate. And I got a call from them. <laughs> so I said, I've ne- never done anything like it in my life. Uh, <laughs> rocked up at Chelsea one day with, with Mark Wilson, who'd never done proper commentary on, on his own. I mean, there's a story behind Mark's uh, situation. Mark, Mark Wilson... Um, Big Bradford Bulls fan. Yeah, I used to work with them. Yeah, went watching yeah. Bradford Bulls reserves. And because of uh, legal compliance, a lot of them games that had to be uh, videoed, which is made the video recording. And Mark said to his mate, he said, that'd be better with a little bit of audio alongside it. Yeah. So he plugged his uh, audio stuff in a week or two later, did the commentary on these reserve team games, which was looked back at by the club. And everybody was singing Mark's praises. So Mark thought about uh, putting a few demo tapes out to a few radio stations. He, he got the, the Tower FM gig. So we both rocked up at Stamford Bridge one Wednesday night. Uh, Bolton versus Chelsea in the Premier League. Both wet behind the ears. We shook, <laughs> hands. We shook hands. We said, we'll, we'll say it as it is. And we've been firm friends ever since, and that's about 12 years ago. So that, that, that got me back involved uh, as wise as the radio commentary. 
Yeah, it's, it's absolutely cracking story. It's, it's great. Mark's absolutely sensational, the commentary as well. Not just the football, the rugby league and what have you as well. I mean, he's you wouldn't find a better commentator out there. Than that. I mean, he's, he's, he's really good. It's not just his commentary. I think his understanding of actual any sport, really, and what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. I think that's what gives Mark. Mark's got a great insight to, like, what's yeah. going on behind the scenes. And he's got a good journalistic sort of view on things and the questions yeah. he asks after the games and obviously we got on really well and we've been firm friends ever since yeah he absolutely does um, I was going to ask um, in terms of your, your playing career we know you've got your, your superstition in terms of how you travel up to the up to the stadium on, on Saturdays Gary um, I don't know if it's worked right enough that's for sure um, in, in recent games but do you have any superstitions as a player? Uh, as a player I used to always like to be out uh, first in, in the warm up uh, yeah. And like and try, trying to be first turning up. I hate I hate being late, so I always used to be trying to be first in the dressing room, first straight, first out, and then I always used to go out in the actual parade on the pitch, one behind the goalkeeper. Apart yeah. from that, <laughs> I, might, I might have had the, the odd sort of journey and, and sort of wore the lucky tie and wore the lucky underpants once, but once we lost, <laughs> they got changed. But, I mean, it has been documented on uh, Bolton FM. I've, I have changed my routine, which way I go to the ground, but since we've started losing again, I think I might as well go back up the motorway. <laughs> and, and you mentioned there when your first game you done me, Mark, uh, down at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. Changed days now, of course, uh, with Bolton. And over the years doing the, the, the commentary, Gary, is... Um, what have you made of the, the, the demise of Bolton, if you like, and, and sort of how far they've fallen? It's a, it's a sad situation. I think it's a, it's a situation which a lot of clubs are probably probably going to find themselves in. Yeah. But were mismanaged for a long, long time as wise as the financial security. Uh, yeah. It was funded by Eddie Davis. Uh, when the club had to become a viable business, we were just throwing money after money at the football club, hoping to stay or regain our status back in the Premier League, which is supposed to be this big holy grail but mm-hmm. I think now this pandemic's come about I think it's, it's it's put a real sort of shining light on people where business it's got to be run properly uh, these teams now not getting any financial backing through people coming through the turnstiles and it's going to be a big wake up call for a lot a lot of clubs so hopefully they will not go to the wall I mean we, we've been lucky as a football club we're just happy now to to still exist because that would, that that stadium would have been the biggest wallflower uh, around the country um, if Bolton Wonders went under a season or so ago. And it's full uh, credit to Sharon and the team there where they they try to run the club properly, getting a final uh, financial structure behind the club. And I think a lot of other clubs need to heed this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I know we, we cover the games. I mean, the, the half the season's played uh, this season already for, for, for Bolton, just over half. Um, how do you see them getting on the second half of the campaign? They really need to start picking up wins, don't they? They do need to stick, uh, start p- picking up wins. Um, do I see it happening? To be honest, no, because the same mistakes are happening time and time again. Yeah. Uh, have we got the financial clout to do it no because we're under the embargo uh, we are clutching at straws bringing unknowns in uh, the two young, young lads who came in over the last fortnight they're unknowns they're, they're untried you, ju- you just 
looking for some sort of spark yeah. uh, without sort of it sort of like being really sort of trustworthy. Really, you're just hoping that somebody's going to pull something and get you a few results. But at the minute, it's just not good enough and it's not consistent enough. Yeah, let's hope it, it changes. Oh, well, Gary, that's it's been absolutely terrific having you on the podcast. Thanks very much for for coming on. Yeah, it's a pleasure, mate. It's good to see you anyway. That was episode 88 of the Talking Fitball podcast with Gary Henshaw. As ever, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can listen to all the previous episodes on pretty much all podcast platforms. They're also now on YouTube. Be also sure to check out and subscribe to the Talking Fitball website. It's talkingfitball.co.uk. You'll find a whole load of great content on there. If you're on Twitter, you can follow us at Talking underscore Fitball and we're on Facebook as well. And remember, you can sponsor the Talking Fitball podcast. Just contact us at the Get Involved page on the website. Hope you can join me again next time, but until then, keep safe, folks, and bye for now.